Meet your Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts? Are they the exciting new heroes the world needs? Thunderbolts, strike! Today makes at least half a dozen times the Thunderbolts have done the job we used to depend on the Avengers for. It allowed us to move among you, disguising who we really are. The Masters of Evil! In what is now becoming an old story, the Thunderbolts once again save the city. Enough of this hero talk. You will do as you're told. But... He's right. You may be wearing a Songbird costume, but underneath you're just screaming me. I can expose all of you right now. So you see, you really have no choice. You know what? We're done playing these parts. It's time to live these parts. No one betrays Zemo. Figures, just when we go in on this hero thing, our blood runs out. Avengers, Defenders, Thunderbolts, I make any team better. We're Norman Osborn's A-team, and he's the big man in charge now. This isn't the team I used to lead. You, honey, are under arrest. You have to fight for what's right every single day, bulletproof skin or not. The Thunderbolts have worked hard to change people's minds about us, but apparently we've got a ways to go. Hey folks, and welcome to Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, the fanhole spin-off show where we talk about the Marvel comic Thunderbolts and prove that we liked it before it was cool, or will inevitably be cool when there's like, you know, a movie or a TV show or whatever. You know, people are going to, of course, go on the internet and be, I wonder if there are any cool podcasts about the Thunderbolts, and our name will be first. So that's the entire impetus of this show. But... Yeah, so, you, if you know, you probably know the. this is, like, episode, what, uh, 10 or 11, Derek? I think it's episode 12. Oh, 12? Jeez, I'm, I'm, I'm losing track of it. But, yeah, you, you probably know the, the, uh, the haps now. We do, like, you know, a, uh, the first half of the show, we do a, a comic that's from, like, you know, in chronological order of Thunderbolts, like, you know, the time, the timeline. And then the second half of the show, we do something historical. And uh, this show, we actually have a special guest to help us mostly with the uh, historical part of the show. Uh, why don't you say hi, Luke? Hey, Fanholes. Thanks for having me on again. This is Luke Giaconetti. I'm uh, always happy to be on the Fanholes podcast and always happy to talk uh, tangentially about the Thunderbolts because... Uh, there's one Thunderbolts character that seems to pop up in a lot of the books that I've read. And so uh, the last time I was on the show, we were talking about this same Thunderbolt. So I'm glad to talk about an earlier story in that Thunderbolts history tonight. Yes. Thank you. Sweet. And oh, oh, who else is on the show? Hey, what's up? This is Derek. Derek WC. Schwein! Sweet Christmas. It's Justin. <laughs> Are you going to help me, Cage? Uh, you look like you got it covered. Size fist. No client means no money. We're heroes for hire, not heroes for freebies. Look around. The city's going nuts. There's all this weird energy. And I'm pretty sure I saw some cowboys fighting a group of medieval knights a few streets over. We have to do something. If it's that big of a problem, someone should be willing to cough up some cash. <laughs> Fine. We'll help. But all this stinks like an Avengers problem. So I'm sending them the bill. So yeah, this is this is in fact, as Luke said, a very Luke Cage heavy episode. And I mean, in Thunderbolts history, we're not going to get to like Luke Cage's actual like tenure 
on the Thunderbolts for a long, long time, like probably when Derek's in the grave or whatever. But <laughs> you know, yeah, so we're that's that's gonna have to be like you know one of those like episodes where we like you know summon his ghost in a seance. To I'm, talk. seance. I'm 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 just picturing the end of like the haunted mansion. It's like a podcaster will follow you home, and Derek's there. Hey guys, how's it going? Have you heard the word about the Thunderbolts? I want to talk to you about Citizen V. <laughs> I did. I made Derek promise to stay alive at least until we reach the fight bolts era. Oh, yay! Fight bolts. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be like you woke me up from the grave for, <laughs> for this <laughs> shit. What? But yeah, like we actually we are not talking about any specific Thunderbolts issue this episode. Uh, we are talking about uh, Heroes for Hire number seven, in which the Thunderbolts uh, guest star. Um, a one-page cameo in Amazing Spider-Man 430, and uh, an issue, what is it, Luke Cage 13? Uh, it's Power Man 20. 21. 21. I, I mixed the numbers up. Yeah, the, Power Man 21, yeah, which is uh, a significant issue. Uh, it, it features Eric Jostin, uh, Goliath, or as he was known back then, Power Man, and we'll talk more about that in the second half of the show. But, uh, yeah, in the first half, we are talking about uh, Heroes for Hire, Volume 1, Number 7. Uh, it's got a cover date of January 1998. Uh, the writer is John Ostrander. Uh, the ink, uh, pencils are uh, Pascal Ferry. Uh, inks, Jamie Mendoza. Colors, Joe Rosas. Letters, John Babcock. Uh, editor, Mark Bernardo. And uh, the title of this issue is The Thunderbolts Take Over. So I have written up a little synopsis for it, and I will read that. Continuing in an adventure from last issue, the Heroes for Hire, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Black Knight, White Tiger, and Ant-Man see the end of a battle with the Deviant Gower and his forces in Lemuria. After Gower's forces retreat, White Tiger volunteers to lead a group of surviving refugees to shelter at Mount Wundagore. The Eternal Cersei has a spat with her former lover Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, and teleports all the heroes for hire back to the submarine that brought them to Lemuria. There, they discover their benefactor, Jim Hammond, a.k.a. the original Human Torch, has left an urgent message with them. The super-adaptoid that they had kept in their possession has reactivated and absorbed Ant-Man, Scott Lang's, daughter Cassie, and escaped. The, hero, the heroes for hire head back to New York at top speed. Meanwhile, Jim Hammond requests the aid of the Thunderbolts to subdue the Super Adaptoid in the Heroes for Hire's absence. With Jolt absent for the day, Citizen V agrees, sensing an opportunity for advancement of their villainous agenda. Once the T-Bolts arrive at Oracle Incorporated, Jim Hammond's company and the Heroes' base of operations, Citizen V coerces Hammond into allowing Techno access to his computer systems. Under the guise of getting information on the Super Adaptoid, Techno will likely be able to pillage some useful information as well. Hammond is wary but agrees, also commenting on how he worked with the original Citizen V during World War II, and what a shame it was that he was killed by that scum Baron Zemo. Citizen V tersely agrees. As Techno patches into Oracle's systems, the other T-Bolts engage the Adaptoid. When Atlas punches it, the Adaptoid takes on his aspect in the physical appearance of his villainous Goliath identity. Now realizing that their whole caper could be blown like this, Citizen V orders the Adaptoid, and by extension Cassie Lang, destroyed. 
Meanwhile, Techno trips an alarm when he tries to access Oracle's sensitive files and awkwardly makes an excuse to Jim Hammond about it being an accident. Techno then leaves to help his teammates as Hammond's unease about the Thunderbolt grows. The heroes arrive at the battle just in time to prevent the T-Bolts from engaging the Adaptoid with Cassie-killing force, and Ant-Man is infuriated that they would endanger his daughter. Iron Fist wonders why the Adaptoid is taking on aspects of the Masters of Evil, and Techno quickly bullshits an explanation about the Master's attributes simply being in the Adaptoid's memory banks. Luke Cage and Atlas tag-team the Adaptoid, with Luke commenting on how he doesn't use the Power Man moniker anymore, and once he had to fight some dork over it, much to Atlas's annoyance. Mach 1 is annoyed when the Black Knight saves Songbird and she practically swoons over him. Meanwhile, Citizen V and Ant-Man continue to argue about how to defeat the Adaptoid without harming Cassie. Meteorite suggests that Ant-Man try to talk it to his daughter and get her to shut the Adaptoid down from within. This works, and the Adaptoid deactivates and releases Cassie. Citizen V lays down the law and tells the Heroes for Hire that the T-Bolts will be taking custody of the Adaptoid now, since clearly Oracle can't be trusted with it. Iron Fist begrudgingly agrees, and later, the Heroes watch Citizen V take all the credit for the win on the news. Jim Hammond expresses his doubts in the T-Bolts and resolves to keep a close eye on them in the future. So yeah, that's uh, Heroes for Hire number seven. And uh, like, I actually hadn't read this issue like originally. Like, I only eventually read it when it was collected in, I think it's like T-Bolt's Classic Volume 2. And like, I, I didn't even know they had guest starred in this comic. But uh, like, when did you guys first read this issue? I know Justin had asked me about this before, probably on a different podcast, but I, I did not read this Heroes for Hire book in real time. But I remember when I was doing like, because th this is one of those things where I I did some research for, uh, you know, a, a project I was working on, like something I was trying to write up for like a Marvel proposal or whatever with a friend. And, you know, one of the pitches was we kind of, had our own little bad guy team. And of course, because I was always a fan of Madcap, I insisted that he was on the team, but I realized I hadn't really read every single appearance of Madcap. And one of the things I had discovered was that he was in Heroes for Hire issue number 11. So not only did I track that down and enjoyed it, but then I, I went ahead and sought out like other issues of Heroes for Hire when I sort of stumbled upon them in the back issue bin. So I sort of read this retroactively probably four or five years after it had come out. But I, I mean, I did enjoy what I read and everything, but that some sometimes comics from this era, I, I tend to sort of, amalgamate them or they all become sort of mushed into the early 2000s like so, something like preacher i tend to do that thinking to myself because that's when i first read it it's like an early you know 2000s comic when in reality it actually kind of started in the late 90s and like that the same is true of this series and so that's that's how i first came to this particular issue and you know i i think it's a lot of fun and then you know of course my my personal favorite moment was was you know, Zemo or, or Citizen V. Am I forever to be plagued by little girls? You know, like that was my <laughs> that was my favorite bit. So I, I kinda I kinda adore that part. Yeah, so I had not I had not read this one before because I it's it's weird because I, I was reading Marvel at this point. I had 
I had started reading Iron Man because I'd been reading X-Men books before that because I was, you know, 12 in 1992. So X-Men books are what you read. And and so I, I read that for a while and I kind of floated around different stuff. I was still kind of, I guess, trying to find my my identity as a comics reader. And so I didn't read this, but I remember I read at the time the contemporary title Alpha Flight, which is fantastic. If you've never read volume two of Alpha Flight, I highly recommend that. And I read Thunderbolts for a little bit. I didn't actually stick with Thunderbolts. I stuck with Alpha Flight for the entire run. But I never read Heroes for Hire because, to be honest, I remember looking at the cover to number one not knowing who anybody was. Like, you know, I, I vaguely knew Iron Fist and I sort of knew Luke Cage, but I had only read a couple of issues of Cage's solo book from 92, 93, that time when he wore the red shirt. Yeah. So... So I didn't really, it didn't really jump out to me. And the name Heroes for Hire didn't mean much because I wasn't, I didn't really know who Luke Cage was at that point. I didn't, I hadn't become a Luke Cage fan yet. That wouldn't happen until I was in college and started reading about his 70s stuff, which we'll get to later, <laughs> later in this very podcast. So I, I had never read this. So this was a real treat. I, I, I have a few issues of this series. It's not as easy to find as you might think, because, you know, the, the non-Heroes Reborn titles at the time i don't think had the greatest print runs so these can be harder to track down but i do have some of them and it, it is a book that i'm always looking for but i i really i really dug this i mean you you know john ostrander is one of those guys that if you're a certain age you know that he can write a team book like it's nobody's business but doesn't necessarily yeah. always get the play but then you read this and you're like yep this is right in that sweet spot for for ostrander handling two teams you know, and, and really doing a good job with it. So this, I liked the excuse for being able to sit down and read this comic. I first read this today. Uh, this comic had always kind of been on my radar, though, and I it, it was always one of those things that I meant to check out because uh, I guess the opposite of Luke, like I was familiar with everyone. Well, I guess everyone except for the White Tiger in this volume, I think I was familiar with. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, I like all these guys, but I just never got around to reading it. And, you know, even when I found out guys like, you know, uh, Scott Lang and Jim, Jim Hammond were in it, I was like, oh, cool, I'll check that out. And I never did. It, it's kind of like Homer, you know, wanting to meet Mr. T. He's like, I'll go a little bit later. I'll go a little bit later. Like, that was my approach. I was like, I'll check it out later. And then it was gone. So I actually went back and read the first uh, six issues today because I was like, oh, they're doing something with, like, the deviants and, you know, the all that stuff i like okay so i went back and read everything and there's some there's some pretty good stuff in there but anyway i thought this was a, a pretty good issue and I, I i wish i had like listened to my little voice in my head and actually checked it out back in the day i mean i imagine you liked it too because of like a lot of the black knight stuff too right yeah yeah i always wondered where his new look and sword and shield came from well that's explained in like issue two or three i think so i was like oh okay i don't know it's always interesting when you when you're reading something back in the day and you're like well i don't understand where this come from mm. well now i've like completed that little piece of the puzzle i'm just like oh he gets like he thinks it's a dream and he's like oh i'm dreaming but like the lady of the lake is like you are the pin dragon of this era you know king arthur is not going to return that was a misinterpretation you know, you, you have a great destiny, and she gives him, like, this little medallion, and whenever he says Avalon, his uh, suit and sword and shield come up, and he's, you know, he's got his little flying horse and all that stuff, and I was like, oh, 
So that's where that came from. Okay, well, that completes that little puzzle piece. Continuity. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff where they're, they're, they're still dealing with uh, Hercules. You know, there was some stuff where, you know, Hercules was pretty down, and he was kind of feeling guilty about, like, not only did he feel guilty about the Avengers dying, and he was there, but, like, he, you know, he, he kind of feels like he's out of sorts now. Like, his friends are dead. He was not there to join them, and now the team is just defunct. And he's, like, I don't know, the first, like, three or four issues, like, he's drinking, like, heavily and just putting people in danger, and he's still acting like he's immortal. And, you know, Iron Fist is like, dude, you can't do this anymore. Like, you're going to hurt somebody. Like, you got to get things under control. It is a really good mix of characters. Like, and I, I do like a lot of them, like Hercules yeah, and Ant-Man and, you know, whoever else, like, pops up. Like, even, like, the Hulk. Didn't the Hulk, like, you know, the bannerless Hulk pop up, like, in the early issues? He was in the first issue. I don't think he appears after that. Like I said, I've only read, like, the, what, the first seven issues now. But, yeah. And then Ant-Man, yeah. like, Scott Lang, he just, like, appears. He, he was like, yes. oh, Jim Hammond had me, like, follow you guys the whole time, and you never knew it. But here I am to help you out. And, <laughs> you know, I, uh, Iron Fist is like, okay, we'll, we'll talk about this later. But, um, you know, I'm glad you're here to help. But he, he was flummoxed by that. And then, um, you know, Cersei showing up, you know, that's, uh, you know, some, uh, that's some good stuff because I, I was always following that love triangle back in the Palmer yeah. Jacket days. Yeah. And then, um, I think this, I think this takes place, uh, there was that one shot, what was it? It was like a Black Knight one shot where, with like the origin of Exodus and they go back in time like that. Uh Like that one shot immediately follows into this story because like, at, I think at the end of that, they get separated and like, you know, Black Knight comes back and he's like, I don't know where Cersei is. And Cersei, you know, we found out, you know, she, she ends up like going to the deviants and they're like, want to do this anti-mind thing and all that. Well, I know you like the Black Knight, Justin, but like, I've honestly like never been impressed by the Black Knight, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, I feel like every story I read with him, he's either like mooning over like some girl that he doesn't have, or he's like, there's something like in the, like he screws up and there's something he has to overcome. Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I've, I've not read a lot with him in it, but like, man, you, I, you and you and songbird have nothing in common. Like zero. <laughs> yeah. Yep, no, I was not swooning over the Black Knight. Like, I, I, I think I was more like Mach 1 and Abe. Like, what the hell? Like, who is this guy? Like, what? <laughs> I, well, I guess it's a good thing, maybe, if you never read those early issues of Defenders, because, like, he's, like, turned into stone for, like, a good, like, 10 or 20 issues or something. Yeah, like, he was, I don't know, like, uh, all the Avengers stuff I read with him, like, in it was, you know, like, during the Siege on the Mansion, he's, like, crushing on the wasp and she doesn't like feel that way about him mm -hmm. and then like mm -hmm. you know during the whole like you know your your beloved bomber jacket <laughs> era justin like he's <laughs> like he's like oh i love crystal but cersei's so hot like i don't know how to pick like uh, i'm like just pick someone you fucking asshole Dude, he's he's doing he's doing this betty veronica thing you know every, every time i read a comic with black knight now i keep wanting them to come out with like a Kickstarter with like a Pegasus that's like six inch size for <laughs> for my Black Knight to ride. Like that's that's what I end up thinking now every time I read a Black Knight story. I want I want a I want an articulated like super articulated <laughs> Pegasus. That's that's we, totally what I want. 
We also need a Cersei figure also for Black Knight to ride. (laughs) (laughs) Zingo! No, you know, that's... I think we know who owns the power dynamic in that relationship. (laughs) (laughs) We know know who's the top and who's the bottom. uh Yeah. Uh, well, may- yeah, maybe, that, maybe that's... I'll think, maybe I'll think Black Knight is cool when like Jon Snow was playing him or whatever. <laughs> you know nothing, Mister Black. See, the weird thing about Black Knight for me is that, like, I remember the Black Knight from when I was a kid. I remember my brother actually used to read Thor. And I remember Black Knight was showing up for a while in Thor, uh, in, in back when I was a kid. But I never really read much of the heroic Black Knight, so. When I think of the Black Knight, I always think of the villain Black Knight. You know, I think of the one that fought Iron Man and the Master of Evil. So to me, it's like the Black Knight is such a cool bad guy name and a bad guy concept. And I like the Black Knight and the Dread Knight that I don't never have had super strong opinions about the Dane, you know, the the good guy Black Knight. It's never really entered into my, you know, uh, visual vocabulary, I guess. I mean, he's cool. He's got a cool look, you know, but like you say, I always think of him. You know, him and like in the bomber jacket era being like, wearing, you know, it's like, really? Everybody's wearing jackets and then you. Okay. I mean, it's a weird <laughs> era. It's, it's a weird time for the Avengers in general, I think, you know. You know, it's like, it's, I, I, don't, I don't think if you were reading the bomber jacket era, you could be like, you know, they're going to make movies out of the Avengers. <laughs> you know, you know it's funny. Billions of dollars with it. Because I always like, I, I think like you, Luke, I, I, I had the Avengers Masterworks. So, I mean, I remembered the, the Master of Evil version of the Black Knight. But then I think like Justin was talking about how you read things that like fill in the gaps or the blanks that you didn't know you had or whatever, or like how how certain things went down. It's like I remember reading a lot of those old timely comics with the Black Knight and then going, oh, see, look, he's. He's heroic here in medieval times, like, and I sort of understood the legacy as, oh, it was a good guy, and then somebody appropriated that and and was a master of evil, and then it went back to being, you know, a good guy again. And when I sort of pieced all that together, I kind of went, oh, okay, now I kind of, I, I kind of get the whole picture, I guess, or, or, or appreciate it for that. See, I blame it on the Iron Man cartoon because it was that cartoon that made me a Dread Knight fan, and that's oh, how yeah, it all started for me. Yeah. I freaking love the Dread Knight. That was the second Iron Man Toy Biz toy I bought. It was Titanium Man and Dread Knight. Even before I had Iron Man, I had Titanium Man and Dread Knight. That, that's that's why we need those articulated flying horses. Because yeah, dang we, right, oh yeah, yep. yeah, we did it for both, right? Yeah, the Dread Knight is a cool visual. I'm I might have like. I might have seen the Dread Knight first before I saw the Black Knight. Like, my memory's really hazy, but yeah, I might have seen him on that cartoon before I actually read him, the Black Knight in a comic. And that, car- that cartoon meant so much to me. I think I talked about this on the, the last time I was on, uh, Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, was that that comic was my gateway to, or that cartoon was my gateway to being an Iron Man fan. So if it wasn't for that cartoon and that Toy Biz toy line, I wouldn't have you know, be within spitting distance of my complete run of Iron Man that's upstairs right now. And, you know, being an Iron Man fan since I was in high school, if it wasn't for that cartoon, that's what did it. So I, I have nothing but, like, it's not, I mean, I mean, parts of it hold up, parts of it not so much. I got nothing but love. I love, I love the second season of that. Show. Oh yeah. Yeah. Second season of that and Fantastic Four are great. Yeah. yeah. They, they uh-huh. have a really great animation for both those seasons. Yes. Like, like, honestly, like people are always like, oh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. And I'm like, dude, Robert Hayes is Iron Man. Like, yes. Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> in, I've, in my head, I still hear Robert Hayes when I read an Iron Man comic. 
you know? Like, people say, oh, I hear Kevin Conroy when I read Batman or whatever. I still hear, you know, Robert Hayes. I all, And I have since I started reading Iron Man because that was my Iron Man was from that cartoon. He, right? I, I'm always, I'm always like, he was doing, like, snarky Tony Stark long before, like, Robert, <laughs> like, Downey Jr. Oh, whoever said laughter was the best medicine ought to be shot. I, I love, like, I think my favorite line from him is when, um, uh, I forgot, like, he's fighting the Crimson Dynamo or something, and, like, the Crimson Dynamo is like, you know, the Soviet Union will rise from the ashes or something, and he's like, come on, Dynamo, like, people don't like rising from ashes. Great's on the dry cleaning bills. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, um, what was I gonna say? Like, not to, not to jump off that topic. I mean, we're 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 talking a lot about the Black Knight, but uh, what about the other like twenty or so characters that still <laughs> in this issue? Like, uh, all I was gonna say is, you know, Hero for you always think of Iron, uh, you know, Power Man and Iron Fist, right? You know, and I like that they're front and center in this. Iron Fist obviously had been a bit more, uh, you know, uh, exposed in the leading years. I mean, he did, you know, he had all the stuff in in Namor and stuff with with that. And Cage had pretty much only had his his series that only ran twenty issues, uh, part of that that big guns deal, which is like Cage doesn't use a gun. Why is he part of this group? Because um, because he, he's got he's got uh, those those muscles that are big, big guns, guns, gun show. But I like them being front and center. I mean, they they really should be, and I liked having Jim Hammond there. But the thing I'm I'm still not not quite sure on is Luke's costume with the white shirt. Oh because yeah, you, it, look, yeah. it looks a little drab, you know. One thing, and people like to dunk on Cage's '70s uniform with the, the the bright yellow shirt and the the blue blackish blue pants and the chain belt and all that. And I dig that he still got the chain belt, but the white just looks a little plain, especially when you've got the white tiger whose whole shtick is that she's wearing white. You know, it's like yeah, I was. That, I think I was like, saying in one of the episodes, I didn't realize that that super uber rare toy biz variant of luke cage the one that has the silver like i didn't realize that that was supposed to be representative of this era of his costume and look you know and i, I was like oh okay so i mean no but I, I mean it's a cool mix of characters i mean you know and the thunderbolts are always cool they're, they're such a great concept you know that that now i said this last time they, they work so well and um you know ostrander even though you know, it's one of they're in one of those ways. They're a group that it's like okay, when it's a roll of the dice, when somebody other than Busick is writing them, but Ostrander gets their voices, I think, really well. And you know, they do. They have a very good showing in this outside of their own title. It's not always the case. You know, a lot of times a guest star is there to put over the the title star. Here it's kind of the other way around. It's almost as if Marvel kind of knew, okay, because when I think of heroes, where heroes were born, back on the Marvel side, the the books that jumped to my head are Thunderbolts, Alpha Flight, Heroes for Hire, and Kazar, and I think Quicksilver was in there too, right? As all, all around the same time, maybe uh-huh. Quicksilver was a little bit later yeah. than that, but those four especially, I remember seeing a lot of house ads for and stuff, and I think by this point they kind of knew that they had a hit with Thunderbolts. And so they're, 
maybe this was like, hey, you know, maybe if we push Thunderbolts a little bit more and have them have a few more guest spots and everyone can see how cool they are, maybe we can really ride this and eventually we can make like a, a fight club version of them. So it's it's almost <laughs> as if it was like a thing. It's like, hey, you heroes for hire, guys. Your book will be around for a little while, but go check out the Thunderbolts. They're like the new thing. And you definitely want to be reading that book because that's the one of these books that's the breakout. I think even the editors knew that at this point, you know, a couple of months into the experiment. I'm, I'm probably going to be a broken record, but but this is me giving the same praise to John Ostrander that I normally do to Busick and, and other writers we cover on this show. But I, I agree with Luke that that Ostrander finds like a lot of the different character voices. And I think also and this will this will come to light when I discuss the uh, amazing Spider-Man cameo page and everything but I, I think he also does a good job of and 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 mike kind of highlighted this in his synopsis but he does a great job of pairing up characters that make sense to be paired up and 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 finding ways to get under the true identity of the thunderbolt skin while they're in disguise you know the the fact that you know again luke cage is paired up with goliath you know like that's that's or, or atlas or whatever you know like like that that makes sense to have them paired up because him saying oh that other guy was a dork is a way to get under his skin or he has to like sort of put up a, a front to to pretend like he's not offended just like zemo talking with hammond you know it's the mm. same thing and and it makes sense like hammond of course hammond would have been a contemporary of the original citizen v like that all that all kind of lines up and everything and i think in in other cases like you know say maybe this amazing spider-man thing we're about to talk about it doesn't totally make sense you know some some of the the comments or or parallels that are made you know and 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 it goes back to this whole interchangeable dialogue with interchangeable characters and and that i always find as sort of a you know either piss poor or, or just disappointing. And I, I don't think anything in this is really disappointing. Like, I think, I think all the characters that are involved in, in this kind of crossover, I mean, you see, that's the thing, like, like the thing that's great about these things, these issues, and, and, and then even this guest appearances. And, and I, I, I think I, I feel pretty confident saying that Ostrander and, and Busick, you know, kind of share that at least, skill and 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 they they make it look easy they make it look easy to take two large teams and have them get into an altercation and have them find a problem and 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 come at odds with one another and then solve it it's a it's a standard marvel you know trope you know plot right like the 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 two different heroes meet they have a misunderstanding and then they resolve the misunderstanding come together and save the day right but then you escalate it right it's two different teams they have a misunderstanding but then on top of that you have the subtext of the second team is actually a bunch of villains and 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 he does all that really really well and he makes it look easy but i think if there were other writers that were handling something like this, it, it, it wouldn't, you, you'd see all the cracks or the flaws and 
you know, dialogue would be interchangeable and it wouldn't be quite as nuanced. And, you know, sometimes even in, in really, really popular shows, I feel like, you know, whether it's on TV or, or in comic books or whatever, you know, people are overwhelmed by the sense of having to write a team book. You know, because it's like, oh, I've got all these characters to keep track of and people lose track of the characters and everything. And, you know, what's nice about this is, you know, if you're a fan of, you know, Scott Lang, he gets to have a moment. If you're a fan of, you know, Luke Cage and, and Iron Fist, they all get to have moments. You know, they, they do a good job of like, it's like Hammond's kind of like the Chris Pike and 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 Iron Fist is kind of like the James Kirk, you know, and they 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 don't. I mean, I I never felt like, oh man, like somebody's, fa you know. The funny part is, to be perfectly honest, I don't know that I have any favorite characters in this, but nobody nobody kind of slipped on a banana peel or got the short shrift, and 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 the fact that that doesn't happen, you know, I I, I again, like I say, I feel like a broken record, but I can't understate like how much I value that in, in something that is as complex as, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of dis simply or deceptively complex. Do you know what I mean? Like, like that yeah. you, you, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't think it's complex, but I think it really is. And the fact that people can like, you know, Ostrander can write something like this and make it look easy is, is pretty cool. And then I think, you know, again, this is uh, the, the art is nice too. I mean, I, I like Pascal Ferry, and, and I think this is pretty early on in his career. And I, I, I you know, again, I guess maybe uh, to offer a counterpoint to some of the, you know, some of the criticisms I think I leveled at Salvador LaRocca when we talked about stuff last episode. I think I, I didn't have any moments of kind of not being able to follow what's going on, you know, and yes, he has a certain style. And if you, maybe if you have a problem with that style, that might be a hard thing for you to overcome. But I mean, I usually like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty easygoing when it comes to styles. If you have a style, I'll become accustomed to it and everything. But I think as far as the storytelling goes, I think it works very well along, you know, that, that it complements the story that Ostrander's trying to tell on the written page. So like, I, I like this. I think it's a fun issue. You know, it's it's funny. One of the one of the things I've seen debated online the last, I'd say, about year or so, is the idea that you're not allowed to say such and such and such character wouldn't do that because it's like, well, they just did it, so obviously they would do it. And I think what you're what you're one of the points you're driving at, Derek, is the reason we have that statement is that there were long periods where you had these writers that, through skill or through collaboration or through the editorial group were able to present characters in a consistent light across a broad selection of appearances and titles. So here, like we said, we have the Thunderbolts very early in their history being written by someone other than Kurt Busiek, and it, it's dead on. It slots right in. Everybody sounds right. Uh, you know, that, that nobody sounds like, you know, well, what, why the hell does Atlas sound that way? That does, that's not, you know, that's not what he sounds like in the main book. And so you do have this consistency of character. That's why you get that idea. It's like, well, such and such character wouldn't do that because everything that we've been presented for the last X number of years suggests otherwise, you know? And I think it comes from that consistency and creative and the, the, the talent involved being able to consistently uh, present those characters one just this this just amused the heck out of me i wouldn't have noticed this if we weren't reading the specific books that we're reading for this story or for this podcast but when 
Atlas and uh, Luke Cage, they do the the high and low on the super adaptoid. I don't have the page number here. It's right after Songbird is swooning over uh, the Black Knight, and uh, and Mach One's getting pretty. He's moving in on my girl, you know that kind of thing. But uh, Cage says, "Hit him high and low, you game." And Atlas says, "Whatever you say, Power Man." And there's the ellipsis and the pause. We'll see it in the issue of Power Man, but every time that Justin addresses Cage, he says whatever he says, and then dot, 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 Cage. So it's the exact same speech pattern that Justin had in the original issue. So considering there's a footnote to it and a point, a plot point about that issue, you know that John Ostrander had somebody at Marvel pull out a copy of Power Man 21 and read that. It's like, oh, I'm going to have him talk that way. <laughs> So it's consistent pretty, even to a book awesome. that was that was tw- that was twenty year twenty five years earlier. That's pretty awesome. I'd never noticed that before, and I just read both those issues again today. Yeah, yeah. I also like. I think Derek, you were making fun of it, but I, I, I or you know, but like you, you were ap- expressing your appreciation about it, like Zemo's like annoyance. Like yeah, kind of like oh, yeah. he was like, well, we shall kill the girl. No, you can't kill the girl. And then like meteor, it, like, then he's like, you know, negotiations have failed. We shall kill the girl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like meteorites all, you know, like no, 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 Zemo. Like we let Ant Man like talk to the girl, and when he fails, then we kill her. Like that's that's how we do this. It's more playable. Like you see. Like like that their inter like you guys have been saying like their interactions are like pitch perfect with Busick's like portrayal of their relationship. There's oh, yeah. got to be a deleted scene of Meteorite just going back to her apartment, pouring herself a glass of wine, looking in the mirror, is like, why do I put up with this? I am not getting paid enough for this. <laughs> <laughs> just a whole. I mean that that'd be a whole one shot now, you know, just Moonstone's ex- existential dread, and she'd have a cat, you know. But that's neither here nor there. She goes home, she has a glass of wine, she calls up, like, five of her clients and has them all commit suicide, and then, you know, goes back to being yelled at by Zemo. I also enjoyed uh, Techno's, like, bullshitting, like, both with, like, you know, getting caught with this security system, and then, you know, hey, why is it looking like the Masters of Evil? And he's like, oh, because, you know, the adaptoid, it has, like, memory circuits, and it's just pulling up files from stuff it already has. Like, yeah! Like, nothing, nothing suspicious here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that really... I mean, Techno is... To me, Techno is almost the Thunderbolt that gets forgotten about sometimes from these early ones. You know, because... As everybody remembers Atlas, he's the big guy, you know, meteorite and songbird, you know, and all that, but he he has some moments in that 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 second one that had me legitimately laugh out loud. And it's like, yeah, that's the ticket, yeah. And he knows about my wife, Morgan Fairchild, who I'm married to. That's right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it makes total sense. Iron Fist. Now go back to your Netflix show. <laughs> Netflix. Yeah, go back to air quotes up to the mic. Your Netflix show, yeah. Your Netflix show. Your show, show that yeah, the the only one that we're not interested in telling any stories about the title character. That that show, yes. <laughs> it's funny. Like I guess we'll we'll probably talk about it. You know, maybe in the the follow up story too. But I mean, that's 
th- th- you you mentioned how he got a lot of play, you know, in in Namor because that's where he got resurrected, and that's uh, for me that's kind of where I was first introduced to Iron Fist was in that John Byrne Namor run and everything. So that's that I, I think that's why I key in on him and everything. And I kind of thought like th- th- this was I guess kind of playing off of Iron Fist like that look for the super adaptoid like like not only him replicating the the looks of the the villainous incarnations of the masters of evil but then when when it's all amalgamated and he's got like the iron fist dragon tattoo on his chest and everything like that's kind of a cool you know, to to me, I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool, you know, I, I'm not, you, you know, normally you're used to them having, you know, sort of the, the Avenger look, you know, like they've got the, the Hawkeye and the cap, you know, chain mail and the, you know, that, that whole kind of deal. But this, this to me was something that was a little different, but I, I thought was kind of, you know, so sometimes you put all that stuff together and people have an adverse reaction like they freak out like like it's composite superman or something and everybody's like ew you know or whatever like it doesn't go well together or something but like i don't know maybe maybe i'm just one of those guys like maybe this is composite superman and i don't know any better but like i i kind of like that that panel like after iron fist you know hits him you know and then and then he basically you know takes on his abilities with everything else so then they've got like he's got like black knight sword and the 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 dragon tattoo and he's got the you know the same collar as iron fist and everything along with like all the the you know masters of evil powers and stuff so i i thought all that stuff was kind of a cool you know for for all those characters you'd think like oh there's got to be a pretty sizable threat that can challenge you know all those characters and again I think this is the phrase I was using, but deceptively simple, right? Like, like you know, it's not that simple, right? Like, but yet it, it, it he makes it look easy. Like, like you know, if this was some other show, I'd be yelling and screaming about what? Why does it take you know these ten guys to take out the hood? Let's say or what? You know what I mean? Like, like why, why? Why, why does it take all these guys to take down this one idiot who probably got one punched by, you know, Spider-Man the other week, you know? But this, you know, to me, it seems like it's a credible and plausible threat for both teams. Like, you, yeah. you find it believable. Well, like you had said, you know, about the, you just said about the, it was kind of a standard Marvel story with the two heroes meeting up, having a misunderstanding and making up. You know, the, the bad guy who's an amalgamation of all the powers is an, a Marvel trope, too. Yeah, you know, yeah. super adaptoid is just one of you know three three that spring to mind readily of that, and that part of that is that look of all everybody mashed together. You know, when you've got visually, that was always the strength of Marvel, right? Was that people weren't as you know, not everybody had a cape and a symbol on their chest, right? And there was a they'll, bit. They'll fight the mimic and super scroll next week. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Fight mimic and super scroll <laughs> and super adaptoid. You roll them all together. Although, didn't Super Adaptoid once get beaten when they disbanded the Avengers? Or was that a Mazo? Didn't the, or did the Justice that's, League beat a Mazo by doing that? That's a Mazo. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, there's no Justice League, so you have no powers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> guys, it's a fair. I'm going to go tell Professor Ivo. You guys are mean. <laughs> that's 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 uh, only slightly a better plan than kill the little girls. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Zemo. Zemo looks at his like pocket planner, and it's like you know, step one, kill little girl. Like step 
two, like question mark. Step three, profit. Profit. <laughs> like step one was get the files. Oh, that's right. Get the files. You see, and they, they still they, on they, that. Yep. And they they, they had the files, right? Like so, yeah. But I, I, I like your avatar like that. It's funny, like he's masked, but yet he still has yeah. that smug look on his face, yeah. even though he's masked. You just want to reach through the TV and punch him, don't you? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, like, again, I also love that scene where Jim Hammond's like, you know, oh, it's a shame, you know, the original Citizen V was killed by that scum like Baron Zemo. And, you know, Zemo's, like, gonna, like, you know, swallow it. But, he, you know, secretly he's like, he was not scum! He's a great guy! He's a super cool dude! <laughs> Number one dude. That that was a, a very, I mean, historically speaking, a high rank in the Nazi party, right? Number one dude. I mean, that was, like, uber storm mensch, wasn't it, or something like that? <laughs> Eins! Ich bin eins! Oh, you know what I had question about? I mean, I consider myself to be a pretty big fan of the original Human Torch, Jim Hammond, but I've never seen him with a beard before. This is the only <laughs> comic book. I mean, it's throughout those first six or seven issues. Um, he's got a beard, and I'm like, okay, I get that he's like a pretty sophisticated android, but I, I don't know. Did Professor Horton like make it so that he could grow a beard if he wanted one? Like I don't, I don't get it. Well, maybe maybe it's like data, and he just has a he has a tape on or something. <laughs> or he's like GI Joe. It's just kind of like fuzzy, you know. Maybe, maybe that was the secret information Zemo wanted Techno to get from like Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, How's it's it like... the robot grow a beard, Techno? <laughs> Oh, then again, Techno has a beard, and he's a robot. Yeah, he's like, uh, but maybe Techno wants to know how to grow a real-looking beard. Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly. Yep, not that beard that says, "Hey, I, I work at the uh, I work at the Wall Music Store in the mall on the weekends." You know, <laughs> the wall. They used to sell music on like little pieces of magnetic film or or. Plastic discs. Those of you who may not remember that, that and there were stores you would go to, to. You didn't just go on your computer and have you know steal music uh, cheaply. I remember those days. Yeah, <laughs> the halcyon days of yore. <laughs> you had to buy a whole album and hope it didn't suck. You know, yes, one single. <laughs> <laughs> you knew you liked one song, but those other eleven songs were up in the air. Yeah. Yeah, I I was talking to a buddy about that the other day. You know, not not to like get way off track, but we were talking about you know stuff like that, and I was like, man, I remember, uh, I liked the that one song Papa Roach had, and I went out and bought bought that album, and there were two good songs on that album. Everything else was awful, and I was so disappointed. And I was like, I like. I think that was the first time that ever happened to me. Like, I'd had pretty good luck until that point, and I was like, this sucks. <laughs> but I took it to school, like, a, maybe a week later, and I think I, like, got some comics and traded for it. So I got, go. I got rid of that shit. But I was just like, yeah. man, this is awful. Like, none of the other songs even sounded like uh, that single. Uh, Last Resort. 
Yes, last resort. Everything sounded different. It was like, okay, we got this one good song. Um, we'll put it out as a single. Everything else we got is different. It's kind of shitty. So we'll just bury that. <laughs> we'll trick them, Larry. We'll trick them. Yeah. Well, I was tricked, and they got my 20 bucks, and I was mad. Last Resort, of course, featured on a very early episode of Smallville for the guy that had bug powers. I swear I am not making this up. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, so you see, he's got bug powers, so it's a song by a band called Papa Roach. See how it goes? It's synergy, man. The kids will get it, dude. Well, like, um, I've been uh, watching Charmed. And oh, great show. There's my my a, wife's I've, favorite show. I've watched it all the way through several times with her. Well, I never have, so this is my, like, attempt. But, like, uh, you know, there's a point in the series where... Uh, Piper starts a club and she has yes. musical guests, the cranberries and Dishwalla. And I was like, I remember Dishwalla. I forgot all about them oh, until yeah. they were on that episode. <laughs> that 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 goes on for a while where they get bands playing in P3. That's the name of the club that Piper yep. owns and so she, she promotes music. Yeah, I mean, I, I what was that? I heard uh, I heard Fat Lip by Sum 41. I I immediately snapped back to Smallville. It's on an early episode of Smallville. I'm like, oh man, they're playing basketball to this song in Smallville, man. <laughs> Since since we're getting like super duper deep into this, does that make it like super problematic to release like Charmed on like home video? Um, it it didn't, at least not that I not that I remember because I, I know what you're getting at because like um, WKRP in Cincinnati, the DVD of yeah, it is almost yeah. unwatchable because of all the yes. stock music yeah. in it. I don't recall anything because they don't play any. I, I guess it was all stuff that was signed to Warners or oh, whoever or okay. whoever was because okay. it's the same thing. A lot of the bands that appeared they, on they a lot came. of those shows were were you know okay. it was corporately owned. So I, I don't remember okay. any cuts on Charm, but that's a good. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, because to, to me, I like like you use WKRP is a great example of that. But like to me, like I think of things that are like closer to my heart, which is like you know the state and and Dawson's yeah. Creek and all that kind of stuff. Where you're like, oh, but, or or something like the Wonder Years, right? Like that 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 took forever because of all the the kind of music rights and all that other stuff. So, but yeah, it's or, interesting because yeah. I didn't I didn't I didn't think that they were all kind of you know oh the, these were all you know, bands that basically were from, from Warner itself. Right. Like, so it, then I go, yeah, oh, it might, it might've yeah. been that. I don't, like I said, I don't remember any cuts, but even like on, like if, uh, you know, like uh, we, we talked last time, you know, I, I, I broke new ground, my brother and I, and my friend, the hero, we started a pro wrestling podcast. I know it's crazy. <laughs> what? crazy. I know, what? right. No, blow. No you one, might want to no put one. on a helmet. Because Luke just blew your mind. But anyway, if, if you watch like old ECW shows on the WWE Network, a lot of it's a lot of it is stock music because ECW just used whatever music they wanted, right? It was whatever CD that Bubba Ray or uh, or Taz had in their car, right? So it's like when you could tell when they got the Pulp Fiction soundtrack because that music from the Pulp Fiction soundtrack appeared on commercials on ECW TV for years, years and years, just deep cuts from the soundtrack, but. Yeah, so now it's all stock music, and it sucks. And you're like, oh, that I can't, you know, Rob Van Dam's coming out here and walking around for 10 minutes, and it's this stupid stock music, and it's awful, you know? Or the Sandman is cracking beer cans against his skull for 10 minutes, and it's just stock music. It's like, I can't even watch this. It's, it, it, it's, it's changing everything. Down is up. Up is down. I can't, I can't deal with this. If there's no Red Hot Chili Peppers and... Uh... Guns and Roses in my the state music video like yeah. mockery stuff. It it makes no sense to me. It's 
So good thing. Good thing comic books don't have a soundtrack. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah. So Luke, are, are, did you start a wrestling podcast? So like you, you can say like you thought wrestling was cool first, just like we started this podcast. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Ultra, you know, my brother and I had kicked around the idea for a while, and then one of our co-hosts on another show on the Vault of Starling Monster Tales of Terror. See, I'm getting my plugs in organically, boys. That's yes, how I do yes, it. Nice. Is uh, at that that's that podcasting school paying off? The um, we had always kicked it around, and he's like, you know, we could, you know, it's like there nobody's done this, you know, nobody talks about pro wrestling on the internet at all. And we're gonna do a podcast about it, so it's like, yeah, we're, you know, it's uh, you know, we 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 didn't trademark it. That was the problem. You can you're not allowed to trademark or patent an idea like that. So we're not making any money off of the other ones, but oh. you know, we, you know, they they know, they all know, you know, well, I, I do hope off and all of them, they know. You know. I, I do hope this professional wrestling thing catches on. So. <laughs> It's like the Super Bowl. If you don't watch it, people are it's gonna go away. You know, it's just that <laughs> people might not support it. Yeah. <laughs> they might not make it. There's a podcasting school. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, if you do podcasting school and Segway school, they actually give you a discount. The Segway school, that's the one that's your money school right there. That's the <laughs> one that's really worth the time and effort to put in. I mean, podcasting right. school, a lot of it's kind of nuts and bolts stuff, but Segway school, I mean, if you don't go to Segway school, man, you're never gonna make it. You know, that's just my, that's just me talking, you know. I'm actually that, that, I'm actually part of a class lawsuit for Segway School. I'm owed <laughs> like you know a couple couple thousand dollars or something. But, uh, you know, okay. I'm gonna sign away my right to sue them individually so I can get a piece of that class lawsuit. You know, <laughs> not that Segway. <laughs> that that's why Tony doesn't host anymore. He failed Segway School. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Tony, if you're listening. <laughs> so on that. Okay, yeah, why don't, why don't we, yeah. You know, talking about Tony really makes me think of Spider-Man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what? I, I, was, I, I was trying Michael's to do... has been to Segway school. He yeah. segued that perfectly. <laughs> I was trying to do a classic fanhole-style segue <laughs> in our early days. But, <laughs> yes, but yes, Derek, why don't... <laughs> Why, Derek, why don't you regale us on the uh, in-depth and oh-so-important uh, cameo the Thunderbolts have in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 430? Yeah, before we get to uh, your unfunny snacky and cosmic carnage and all this other fucking nonsense, there are four pages in Amazing Spider-Man 430. This came out, uh, on-sale date was 1997. Uh, it was called Savage Rebirth. Tom DeFalco wrote it. Joe Bennett penciled it. There, we're only really talking about the first four pages, but basically what happens is Spider-Man is super-duper overjoyed because the Avengers and the Fantastic Four have returned, and they're alive! Alive! Just like we discussed in Heroes Reborn, The Return. And even though they were believed to have perished during the battle against Onslaught, they were actually removed uh, to a pocket universe created by Franklin Richards. And now they are back in the main 616 universe. So Spider-Man is already heading to the Four Freedoms Plaza to see the Fantastic Four. But though he forgets that they don't actually live there anymore. And it is currently the headquarters of the new superhero team, the Thunderbolts. 
since there's a reward out for the wall crawler's capture thanks to norman osborne's machinations he figures he won't take any chances and heads off to the daily bugle to figure out where the fantastic four are currently hanging their hats and as he leaves he is observed by atlas Techno and Citizen V of the Thunderbolts. They briefly wonder if the web slinger has discovered the truth about them, but then dismiss the notion as Spider-Man doesn't strike them as much of a detective. And that's basically what we are covering as far as Thunderbolts coverage. And just to uh, cut to the chase, my thought was like, so, so one, I placed this here because to me, this kind of is immediately after Heroes Reborn the Return, which we covered last episode, and it's it's prior to Thunderbolts 10, obviously, and they're kind of going off about, you know, they have the files and all this kind of stuff, so we're, we're kind of right in the middle of all this kind of Thunderbolts stuff, like right before, I guess, the fall, I guess you'd say. Um, and, and then the, the other thing about it, I, you know, that's the main reason why I wanted to cover it. It doesn't really tell us any new information, but... I think this is what I was kind of getting at, like, or trying to be subtle about with the commentary for Heroes for Hire was that that this issue, I don't know, maybe it's just me, like, like, and because I'm looking at this with, like, super duper detail, like, fine, fine comb, you know, type detail, but I thought maybe it would have been better to have Mach 1 say Techno's lines, because, like, the Beatles fought Spider-Man a hell of a lot more times than any of those other guys. I mean, you could you could maybe twist my arm and be like, dude, he, you know, Fixer was in an issue of Marvel Team-Up, you know, and, and, and like, I guess, you know, Goliath fought him when he had, the you know, the cosmic powers, you know, and all this other stuff. But it's like, I, I kind of feel like if anybody should have been saying that, like, I feel like the lines that Atlas... Or, or even mainly Fixer, you know, the whole thing of, oh, he's not much of a detective. Like, I figure that would be a lot better coming from the mouth of Mach 1. But that was kind of my main takeaway from this kind of cameo and everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I Believe it or not, it, it's funny that, that you had suggested this because this, this book was just reprinted as part of the True Believers $1 reprint line last year as part of the, I swear, I, I'm holding it in my hands. I'll hold it up to the microphone for everyone, everybody's uh, uh, edification. The So this is True Believers number one, Absolute Carnage, Savage Rebirth. And it's, it's a reprint that was done as part of a series of Absolute Carnage tie-in reprints. So I had never read this because I'm a huge Venom fan, but I was hit or miss on Carnage. And I don't, I guess I didn't know that this story happened. So I just passed on it the first time and I never got around to buying it. So I said, oh yeah, for, for 60 cents with my discount, I'll gladly pick this up. And then, you know, then, then Derek sent me a message saying, oh yeah, these are the books we're covering. It's Amazing Spider-Man 430. And I'm like, I look at the, I open it. Okay. Which one is that? I open the, I look at the cover and it's like, Hey, wait a minute. I've got that. Sort of. I'm like, the Thunderbolts were in that? That was literally what I said. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, they appear for half a page. Because, again, Thunderbolts. Hey, y'all, you're buying your Spider-Man book. Don't forget about the Thunderbolts. Y'all want to buy that Thunderbolts book, folks. That's where that, that's, that's your, that's the big book that you want to buy. That, that's what this struck me as. This could have been anybody. This, this could have been, you know, the Sinister Six or something. You know, it could have been anything. It, 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 it could have been, you know, the, the uh, the the original um, 
The original Big Hero 6. It could have been anybody. There's no reason this has to be the Thunderbolts here. And Big it's, Hero uh, 6. It, it, does, it, does, <laughs> it, it does come off a little artificial that Spider-Man's like, Oh, right, duh, I forgot. Like the, the, the Fantastic Four have been gone and they don't live in Four Freedoms Plaza anymore. Duh. Well, he's so he's so focused on giving Johnny Storm noogies that he yeah. it slipped his mind that the Fantastic Four don't live there right now. Yeah, that's that's a little a little suspect in its own right, isn't it? You know that he's just hey, what, what if, Johnny what Storm if, what is what back. If, I'm, I'm hey, just would saying. That, would that make you pull your hair out, Mike? If I said it was the old Parker Luck, <laughs> I'll chase you to the ends of the earth. An excuse? Oh, you mean Dan Slott's excuse to write Peter Parker like a fucking moron? <laughs> yes, yes. You know, you want to know? You want to know something really amusing? Mentioning Dan Slott is that I know a lot of people don't care for Dan Slott's work, his modern stuff, and there, you know, I, I've read some of it I've liked and some of it I didn't like. You know, I was very pleasantly surprised by the stuff he's done with Iron Man because I I was really concerned when he took over the reins of Iron Man, and that story's actually turned out to be uh, pretty. Pretty creative and, and and pretty unique. But Dan Slott was the co-writer on an issue of Excalibur way back in the 90s that turned me off to his writing right out of the gate. It's the first issue when Excalibur was being folded back more into the X office. So it's the first issue after Alan Davis leaves. So Alan Davis leaves with a two-parter called Days of Future Yet to Come that resolves the whole Days of Future Days of Future's Past storyline resolves all of it. It explains, you know, we find out, you know, it explains Widget, uh, you know, all that stuff. And it ends with this uh, turn the book sideways, one page splash of the entire Excalibur team, beautifully rendered by Alan Davis. It's a send off to that whole era of the book. The next issue, they said, slots one of the writers and he kills off like half the group and everything is screwed up. Like they lose Captain Britain off panel. Like, oh, we were traveling back from the future and we lost Brian. What? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's everything just immediately changes. And it's like, I don't know if he had anything to do with any of these story points or not, but I have my eye on you, Slot. I'm not sure about you now. You're doing all this to my beloved Excalibur right after Alan Davis, you know, gave him their hero send-off. And then you, you know, throw everybody into the blender because, uh, you know, oh, well, Xbox sell, dude. Yeah. Fatal Attraction is going to put Excalibur back in the spotlight. You... Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get rid of anybody that wasn't once an X-Man. Yeah. <laughs> See, you're, 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 you're crushing my theory now, Luke, because I'm like, I'm like, I hate Dan Slott's writing on like single hero books, but I think he writes good team books. But now clearly, like maybe he didn't start off that way. If you're saying Excalibur under him sucked. Well, See, and, I, I and, and, and unless unless yeah. Silver Surfer and Don Granger are a team, it doesn't really apply to that either. I, I don't I'm trying to remember who else was the writer because it, it I don't think I think he was like listed as like just like co-writer or something. I don't think he was it was just him. So like I, said, I wonder I that, I wanna... that was a whole that was a whole debacle for for Excalibur anyway. I mean there's was this, it was it was Lobdell doing anything with it at that point? I don't remember if it was mm. if it was Lobdell or or Nicieza or one of the other you know mm. uh, standard I say standard one of the you know typical X Men writers of the era. Uh, so let's see, Fatal Attractions was seventy one. Seventy one, right? Yeah. So let me. I'm gonna do. You got. Let's. I'll. I'll check the the fandom, the wiki. 
But uh, but let's let's talk about this you know meaningful appearance of the Thunderbolts in Amaz- Amazing Spider-Man. You got you got any got any thoughts on this, Justin? No. <laughs> nope. How, what what about you, Mike? Like, do you, do do you have anything other than that to say um, about? I, I I bought this issue off the stand, so like I remember seeing it, and I was reading Thunderbolts at the time, so I was like, oh, yeah, like cool, like oh they showed up, like they must. I get maybe like young me was probably like, oh yeah, like the Thunderbolts are going to be super important because they showed up in Spider Man, like you know, like even though you know. It's uh, they had shown up in like Spider-Man team up prior to this, but I didn't know about that issue. But uh, yeah, you know, it's a, I guess it's OK. Like I, I was glad to see them. I mean, Spider-Man's my favorite comic book hero of all time. So to see him, it's like them showing up in his book, like sort of validates them more to me, I guess. So like, mm. yeah, but. that they were at least becoming a big deal in the marvel universe so that's probably how i thought about it when i originally read it but i mean i like joe bennett's art yeah there's there's not much to say about it yeah uh, yeah all right and to close the loop it was scott lobdell who (laughs) of uh it's excalibur 68 if anybody wants to check it out scott lobdell and dan slot are credited as the writers and it's uh, it's it's not not good I'm just going to leave it at that. And then the, it balances around. There's there's several different writers credited leading up to 71, and then it's Lobdell writes the the crossover, which is is not not super surprising, um, considering that was that was one of his crossovers. But then after that, then it it, it the new direction only lasts for a couple of issues, where they change direction again. They yeah. they really had no idea what to do with this book after Alan Davis left. I mean the you know. The, the 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 first issue after the new direction has Jean Grey front and center on the cover. It's like Phoenix is there too. I get that, but it's like let's make sure we put an X Man on the cover. You know. Well, since since we've already determined that that uh, uh, we I am canceled, I'll just I'll just say I I did read the uh, I, and I remember I went out of my way to read the the Warren Ellis issues of Excalibur, and I remember liking those. I mean, I I dug the whole Pete Wisdom Kitty Pride thing, so I got into that, and of course I got into that way after the fact too. Like I consider those like you know mid two thousands books, but that's because I was getting them for like a quarter from. You know, or fifty cents from like, you know, back issue bins because I was quote unquote discovering all that for the first time. You know, because by then he was considered a you know a star writer, and then I was like, oh, well, what else has he written? You know, and then I went, oh, he wrote Excalibur. Oh, he wrote yeah. about Kitty Pride. Like, I like that stuff. I'll check it out. You know. Yeah, that 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 is. I have those, but I've never read them. Like I said, my, my Excalibur was. Like I said, Claremont and Davis, and then mostly just Davis. Like when Davis was writing and drawing, that's the Excalibur that I always think fondly of. And and there, I mean, and like Lobdell and I want to say did fill-ins and stuff on that at, at the time yeah. when Davis would would need a break or whatever. So I mean, he was always there. It's not that again. It's not that you know that Lobdell was a bad X Men writer or anything. It's just that Davis and as Claremont Davis had such a stamp on that series. It was hard to it was hard to tie it back into the regular you know, X-Men books, you know, at that time, the more, you know, X-Men and Uncanny and X-Force and X-Factor, they, they kind of were all in all mutant stories all the time. Whereas Excalibur was like, yeah, you know what? I think we'll, we'll go do something in the future. Yeah. You know what? I think the Werewolves are back or yeah, you know what? 
maybe we can go hunt down Courtney Ross's evil duplicate. <laughs> That's the ticket. So do we want to do we want to do? Yeah. Uh, let, let's let's do let's do Power Man. I told you never to call me Power Man, Danny. Oh, yeah. Power Man 21. This was released uh, July 16th, 1974. A whopping 25 cents. Edited by John Samino's favorite boy, Roy Thomas. The story title is The Killer With My Name. The penciler was Ron Wilson, inker Frank Giacoya, writer Len Wein. Uh, wait, what? Nope. What did no, I do? No, no, no. You got... So, okay, so the writer <laughs> is credited as Tony Isabella. Len Wein is credited with a plotting assist, which suggests to me that Len Wein said, hey, wasn't there an Avengers bad guy called Power Man also? Maybe mm. they should fight. Uh, Ron Wilson is credited as Drawn, so we're going to say with pencils on that. Vinny Coletta was our inker. Tom Orzachowski was the letterer. Uh, uh, S. Uh, S. Goldberg, who is, uh, was that? Uh, it's Sean Goldberg? I forget his name. Was he colorist? Oh, Stan, Stan Goldberg. Stan Goldberg. Got to have them Jews on the Marvel books. Stan Goldberg uh, is the... Uh, <laughs> it's true, man. You know, call it like it is. I mean, it's New York in the, in the 70s. That's okay. And then Roy Thomas, the editor. On, on behalf of uh, Steve Ditko, I should we should say, like, for Vince Coletta, boo! <laughs> I won't let that Coletta, guy touch my fucking books. Well, the, 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 the amazing thing about Coletta is that, you know, okay, everyone says, well, Vinny Coletta got work because he was fast. It's like, no, when Coletta would, had time to do stuff, he was a really damn good inker. But too often it was like, Vinny, we've got, like, a day to ink this book. He's like, yes, I'll take it. <laughs> And then you put him with somebody who was really detailed. He's like, nope, don't need any of that. Don't need any of that. Don't, I guess, know, we got to get guess, the book out, you know? I, I guess that's true. If you want to be detailed and go through revisionist history, if you're going to throw Vinny Coletta under the bus, you should probably throw, you know, anyone who was in charge for dumping that on him with, like, you know, a day to spare, right? Like, Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's... Over on Two True Freaks, Vinny Coletta is, he, he gets a bum rap, especially if he's paired with like George Tuska. Like I think I did an Iron Man book where it was George Tuska inked by Vinny Coletta. And it, it was, oh my God, it, it, you'd have thought I farted in church. I mean, the way, response I was getting on that episode, <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, I get it. It's not John Byrne. Okay, guys, you know, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, part of Coletta's, uh, you know, the, the way that people talk about him now is totally deserve it because he did do all those things. Like, you can see it, like, when you see penciled pages and then inks and he's, like, removed characters and removed backgrounds and stuff. So it's like, but at the same time, yeah, it's like you said, it's really editorial's fault for saying, oh, yeah, by the way, we need really need to get this book inked by, like, tomorrow at dinner. <laughs> then, but then you get guys like Bob Layton who do the same thing and it looks outstanding, so. Yes. You know. Well, but, yeah, but, you know. Leighton, yeah, yeah, you know, but Leighton, I don't know how often he got pressed into doing that. The, the classic Death Mate story notwithstanding, yes, yes. which is the greatest. Well, the greatest I'm, I'm saying, story. like, like my, my, my experience with him personally, I was like, I believe the Death Mate story with all my heart now. Because <laughs> it was like, it was like, here's this thing, uh, uh, Bob. And then it was like a day later, oh, I'm sending it to you in the mail. And I was just like, <laughs> damn, you know, like, this is awesome. I believe it. I believe yeah. the death made story. I I'm a believer, but yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I copy pasted all that from Mike's amazing world wrong or if it's actually just wrong, but yeah, thanks for the assist with the, uh, 
the the creative team and everything. But here's here's the uh, the the quick and sweet synopsis, the sweet Christmas synopsis. Following the defeat of Cottonmouth, Luke Cage gets the praise he's been craving. Newspaper headlines heralding Power Man as a hero. Arriving at Noah's clinic, he learns that Claire has left town. Noah gives him a Dear John letter from her, explaining that she has to leave his life completely. Maybe forever. In a foul mood, Luke returns to the Gem Theater, where he is attacked by the criminal known as Power Man. The criminal Power Man demands a battle to determine who has the right to use the name Power Man. Despite there being a little girl trapped in the theater during the battle, Luke manages to knock out the criminal Power Man, claiming the right to use the name. After the fight is concluded, he takes the little girl out to get an ice cream. And that is the synopsis for Power Man issue number 21. Classic. I mean, this is a classic, I mean, like I said, very, very detailed, important, you know, story in the annals of, of Marvel Bronze Age books. It's it's like, uh, you know, right up there with, with some of the all-time greats. But two dudes wailing on each other for 16 solar pages or so because they have the same name is, is so great. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think I talked about this when... When Derek, when we talked about uh, the Iron Man annual where Justin became Goliath, yeah, that my introduction to Justin was in Essential Avengers, mm. so the reprints of the early Avengers where he was was Power Man, where he was Enchantress's boy toy, yeah, that you know is like you know I'm the toughest guy and he was a big tough tough guy and he'd get whooped by the Avengers and Enchantress would you know power him up or whatever, so. When see, I started. I, I said earlier that I became a Luke Cage fan when I was in college because when that was when I really started learning about the Bronze Age of comics, both Marvel and DC was was college and immediately after, and I gravitated towards Luke Cage. You know, same name thing, right? Our Luke's got to stick together. You know, Luke Cage, Luke Skywalker. You know, it, it's normal. So, so I started getting. I remember getting issues one, two, and three of Heroes for Hire off of eBay when I was, I think, a sophomore in college, and just devouring i thought they were so cool i loved getting these bronze age books and this this character that at the time was very obscure this is even before his max series from which was like 2006 i want to say so cage was like a non-entity you know he was not you know netflix tv star luke cage you know a big bad black superhero luke cage he was just a forgotten guy that nobody really cared about so these books were cheap and i remember picking up almost a complete run of his title before it became Power Man and Iron Fist. So like one, issues one through 50 at a dollar bins and cheapy bins. Right. And this was one that I got. And I, and I, I thought this was so cool because I had just been reading about the original Power Man. And now this is the Luke Cage Power Man fighting the Eric Justin Power Man and for nothing so complex as just, they're both called that. And it, it it's to me, it's a brilliant little setup and it, but it goes in, in some ways towards the larger trend of Luke Cage stories. You know, the general setup for a Bronze Age Luke Cage story is kind of like this. You know, something might be going good for him. He might have a job. He might have some money in his pocket. And then bad things keep happening to him. And they keep happening to him and keep happening to him and keep happening to him until the end of the story when you get this catharsis moment where Luke is able to just unload on some sap, whether it's, you know, mace 
or uh, Stiletto and Discus or Comanche and Shades or, you know, Steeplejack or whomever, or, you know, uh, Piranha Jones or Cockroach Hamilton or whoever the hell it is, right? He just gets to unload on somebody and release all this negative energy and, and, and do something. And that's what this is. He gets, he gets dumped on, you know, he's feeling good. And then Claire leaves him. And then, you know, he's got, he's trying just to relax. And there's all these problems at the gym. And now he's fighting Eric Justin, who is a legit guy that fought and and beat the Avengers. And he's, and he's like, he can't catch a break until he finally just has fed up and had enough and lays Justin out. So it's, it's in, you know, in a sense, it's almost, if someone wants to know what's Luke Cage like in the seventies, give him this book because it's an encapsulation of the entire concept of the book before it becomes power man and iron fist. It's it, it, this idea of the, the guy that is, you talked about the Parker luck, the guy that the whole world is dumping on him and he just is, gets fed up and has had enough. That's, that's Luke Cage in the bronze age in a nutshell. So that's, I just, that's why this is such a, a favorite of mine. And I, I don't know if you're going to get this out of me in, in, in all these uh, podcasts, but th- this is one time I managed to uh, synchronize the whole, there's an asterisk in Heroes for Hire 7 that points to Luke Cage Power <laughs> Man 21, and, and we happen to be discussing the very thing it's telling you to go read. So so that, I, I, I'll, I'll give myself a, a pat on the back for that, because I don't know how often that's going to be happening. But, uh, you know, every once in a while, uh, things come together like that. And, like, I, I think what's interesting about this is, like, again, like, th- this is kind of what I was alluding to when I was talking about Iron Fist. Like, one, I, I, I think I remember ads, you know, like the, the, the famous ad I remember, I think, is the one I think uh, Dennis Cohen did where it's like, you know, you've got the ad with with Iron Fist, you know, kind of covering one side of his mouth and then pointing over to the other ad, basically, and him going like, dude, you've pissed off Luke Cage or whatever. And then and then you've got the page of Luke Cage, you know, ranting and raving or whatever. And they're trying to establish, you know, this is a, a you know. 48 hours at tango and cash or you know what whatever kind of thing whatever parallel you want to draw to you know they're they're this buddy cop movie kind of gone wrong or whatever and like that i i i remember the ads you know and and it was probably ads from like reading either older comics or back issues or things like that but if I'm honest, the first time I ever was really exposed to Iron Fist was in John Byrne's Namor run. And then my my buddy, who, who loved all things John Byrne, and I, I'm still wondering if he either either he had a big fetish for John Byrne or he had a big fetish for Iron Fist. But he always said one of his favorite characters were Iron Fist. And that's, I mean, as far as like older Bronze Age, you know, 70s Marvel stuff, like I read a lot of those Iron Fists because he had a complete run of those. And and so I knew Iron Fist pretty well, but I don't think I knew Luke Cage very well at all, especially this era seemed like kind of a blind spot for me. I had read some of the big guns issues, you know, the stuff from the 90s, and then I had read some of these you know, the, these 90s, late 90s era heroes for hire issues. And I think, I mean, outside of, of you know, maybe reading, you know, th- this isn't the first time I read this particular issue, but I, I think 
what ended up happening was I think maybe either shortly after I saw the first season of, of the Netflix Luke Cage, I was just kind of curious about the characters that were in that. And the, the, the one thing I'll say is, you know, Power Man, I think, is the, the, the only difference between what you mentioned in terms of a standard Bronze Age Luke Cage story is I think most of the villains, to me, came across like Dick Tracy villains. Like there were these ginormous, almost caricature-like villains, you know? They were very outlandish. They they had some kind of weird theme going on to them and everything. And I think I think the, the the main thing that distinguishes this is this is to me at least, this is the first almost like standard kind of Marvel Avengers villain that shows up on Cage's doorstep, or at least in in my reading of it, you know, I, I did some sampling of it, but I I haven't read nearly as many issues of you as you have, and I I even think the whole you know once it turns into uh, you know Power Man and Iron Fist, I, I I that's a lot of blind spot for me as well. I mean, you know, it'd be fun to read all those at some point, but I've never done like a really big read through of all of it, and you know this like you said, this is fun. This is kind of basically your standard Marvel slugfest. You know, uh, for all the people crying about, you know, both 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 our mothers' names are Martha. Well, guess what? Both their names are Power Man. Get the fuck over it. Yeah. Um, you know, like like this is still a pretty cool, you know, slugfest. Or, you know, a, a good throwdown and everything. And you know, I mean, and then you know, you you kind of, I mean, th- there there is that aspect. You know, you're talking about Peter Parker and everything. There is that relatable aspect of. Hey, I'm buying flowers for my girl. Oh, I got a dear John note from my girl. You know, it's like I, I think I think most people, regardless of of your background or or where you hail from or whatever, I think I think that's that's ultimately something that's universally relatable. And then and then you know after all that, then he comes home to find some guys trashing up his home. Like so, yeah. I mean, you know, you you get it. Like like that. That's why that would be cathartic, right? Like get the fuck out of here. You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, let me let me jump in with just two things real quick. First off, you mentioned Peter Parker. If you look on page one, there's a copy of the Daily Bugle that has our credits on it. The headline is Power Man Bust Drug Ring. And there's a picture of Luke Cage. There's a photo credit to P. Parker. Which is I that that's just a clap. That to me is like Bronze Age Marvel right there, right? So that that is neat. And secondly, regarding um, Marvel supervillains at large in his title, Cage primarily fought his own rogues gallery in the first year. Um, in fact, um, I'm pretty sure up till this issue, the only Marvel villain at large that shows up is the classic bit in issues eight and nine with Luke Cage fighting Dr. Doom. Which oh, has where, where's, that where's panel, my money, honey? Where, where's my money, honey? And what's amazing is I have that and I didn't think anything of it when I got it. Because like, okay, Dr. Doom, right? Dr. Doom's awesome. He should, I would want him to Luke Cage fight Dr. Doom. When that panel starts showing up online, people are like, there's no way this is real. I'm like, oh, it's real. Oh, it's real. <laughs> the fact that Doc, that you know, Luke Cage steals a a jet from the Fantastic Four and flies to Latveria because Doom stiffed him on two hundred bucks is oh, that's real, all right. <laughs> uh, 
That's think, a lot of bread in 1973, you know? <laughs> when we talked about Dazzler, we were talking about the issue of Dazzler, where she fought Doctor Doom, and I was kind of like, you know, like, Doctor, what, did she rampage through Doom's castle? And then, like, Doom was like, when I heard a crazy white woman was rampaging <laughs> through my castle, I knew it had to be you, Dazzler. You know, if they did that issue today, like, I, when, when I heard a crazy Karen was rampaging through my it's Allison. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't have a flippy haircut. Well, I kind of have a flippy haircut. But... <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, uh, you're you're right on. Like I said, you it, Luke Cage is relatable for a guy, you know, he's especially like I said these these first couple of years because once once you get once uh, Danny gets into the book, the book gets a bit more adventurous. It still does tell, you know, just you know stories, the the street level stories, but there's a lot more stuff with Kunlun and stuff like that, which is great. I mean, seeing Luke in a lot of those crazy, you know, like seeing Luke in Kunlun is always fun. But the idea, he's just a working guy, right? He's just trying to make. He's just he's had a, a hard life, just trying to make a buck, and we can all relate to that, you know. We we might not be putting on a chain belt and a yellow shirt. And, and, you know, giving guys headaches for the rest of their lives by punching them in the face. But, you know, th this is the same book that this is a few, a little bit down the road. He has a line like, man, I haven't had any good luck since I found the place that sells these yellow shirts so cheap. Because it, because <laughs> Cage's shirts get shredded a lot. You know, the, the, his shirt survives this issue, which is kind of impressive because usually his shirt's destroyed by the end of an issue. That's another way. He always has a fresh yellow shirt ready to put on. It's it's getting torn up on the cover, but not in the actual book. I'm, I'm waiting for the new epic crossover where it's revealed that Boopsy the dog is behind all the torment that Luke Cage is going through in like <laughs> modern comics or something. You know, the secret. He got he got he got he got, um, he got uh, morphed by the high evolutionary into like the new big bad or something, and it's like I am Boopsy. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he can fight the Venom dog from Donny Cates' Venom. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I was, I was just thinking about the fact... Maximum oopsie. Maximum Absolute oopsie. oopsie. <laughs> it's just amazing. I said I picked up mo almost all of these Luke Cage books for a dollar. I'm just looking through mycomicshop.com. Oh, how much they are now? All these first-year books are so expensive now. It's like, this is what happens. You get a TV show, man. This is what happens Dude, when you get a TV show. When, when I'm dead and and, uh, and 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 Mike's Thunderbolts movie comes out, he's going to be rolling. Yeah, it's true. Yep, I've got I've got a lot of the original Thunderbolts run. Yeah, even Cottonmouth's first appearance from is is jumped up in price. You know, Cottonmouth was was not. I mean, he was a. I mean, he was a recurring menace, but he wasn't like a big deal like he was on the show. Really, so. Steeplejack's first appearance, still not really pushing up there. <laughs> or Discus. I love Stiletto and Discus. I, I really do legitimately love Stiletto and Discus. If if, if I ever wrote like a, any Marvel book and I needed just my, you know, just a fill-in fight where, oh, the bad guy hired a couple of guys, my hero would beat the living hell out of Stiletto and Discus. That is a shoot. I'd <laughs> also have the Wrecking Crew at some point because who doesn't love the Wrecking Crew in a Marvel book, right? You need an issue-long fight. Do you have a solo book? You fight the Absorbing Man. If you have a team book, you fight the Wrecking Crew. Am I right? I mean, that's the way this works, guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, believe it or not, I've read this issue before. Like, and it might be the only issue of Luke Cage's original book that I've ever read. Um, I think that they reprint it 
in the back of some double-sized Thunderbolts issue. Uh, mm. I can't recall which one, but it might be like 39 or 50, but they actually like reprinted it, and it was like an extra-size issue, and it was in the back of that issue. So th- that's when I first read it. But, uh, yeah, like, it's a great issue. It's, I mean, it's straightforward. It's a great fight scene. You know, like Luke said, it's like, you know, the two guys wailing on each other for, like, you know, almost 20 pages. And, yeah, like, I I, I always liked this issue. And I, like, I, I like just the fact that they feel like they felt like they could address the fact that there are two characters named Power Man is, like, I don't know. I, like, I love continuity, like, you know, untangling or, or tweaking or whatever you want to call it. Like, having fun with it. So, like, yeah, like I, I, I really liked this issue. Aren't there two, come to think of it, aren't there two cotton malts, too? Yes. Yes, there's one from the, the Serpent, Serpent Society. Society. Is it, and I think there's two Diamondbacks also. Yeah, yeah. But there's now, there's now, the Cage in, Diamondback and there's yeah. the Love of Captain America's Life Diamondback. Now, in the now in the interest of fairness, I want to say by the time the second Diamondback was introduced, by well, kind of by default, the original Diamondback was dead because spoilers, the uh, so Diamondback appears in issues one and two of Luke Cage Hero for Hire, which is what eventually became Luke Cage Power Man. He dies in the second issue. Um, Diamondback is has a knife fetish. Is probably the most diplomatic way to say that. And he apparently, you know, goes to the Oliver Queen School of Weapons because he has a bunch of gimmick knives that he carries. And one of them is an explosive dagger that when he throws it, when it sticks in the point, it's like a hand grenade that goes off, right? So the the image I always remember is that him and Cage are fighting on the roof and the roof starts to break, through, like collapse because Cage, even though he looks like a fairly, you know, just a large dude. He weighs so much because his body is so thick that the roof can't hold their weight, and they both fall through. And uh, Stryker lands on his duff, and then in the next panel, he's still sitting on his duff, and the knife lands right between his legs and sticks into the floor, and then it's an explosion. So he dies in the second issue, which I always thought was funny is that Cottonmouth in the comics was Diamondback's boss, and they, they flip that around kind of in the Netflix show where Cottonmouth was the guy that was working for Diamondback because like, well, Diamondback's story makes more sense to be the big bad for Luke Cage, the whole thing with him and Reva. Uh, so that made more sense to him be the, the big bad, even though they, they offed him, you know, it, it's pretty brutal. I mean, he, a couple of the early Cage villains don't survive their encounters with him. Uh, Senior Suerte uh, is electrocuted and killed. Uh, like I said, Diamondback gets killed. I think Steeplejack gets killed. There's a few of them that don't, don't make it out. Uh, I, sw- I swear I thought you were going to say Senior Swear Jar. <laughs> well, so Senior Suerte is also known as Senior Muerte because Suerte is Spanish for luck, but Muerte is Spanish for death. And he ran in, he ran in illegal casinos, and he had a costume, and I think I should preface that I swear I'm not making this up. He had a costume that he could spin a dial on it, and one of his hands, one of the gloves would randomly be electrified, and then he, you would have to shake hands with him. So are you shaking hands with Senor Suerte or Senor Muerte? And, and he gets killed when he electrocutes himself. I, I forget the context exactly, but I think like Cage is fighting him and knocks him into like a pool of water and he electrocutes himself and he dies. Oh, I, th- I thought you were going to say he like tried to shake his own hand or his something. Own hand. 
<laughs> I, I, I shall shake hands with myself, senor. I am the most interesting man in the world. It's like, I don't always kill myself with my electrified suit, but when I do, it's in an issue <laughs> of the Hero for Hire. <laughs> J- Justin, what about you? What are your thoughts on this issue? I liked it. <laughs> I said it before, best damn color man in the business, folks. Uh, no, this is the first time I read this. Uh, Luke Cage is, or at least his 70 stuff, is uh, a little bit of a blind spot. I've read some stuff, and I've read the famous Doctor Doom thing you guys were talking about, but when it comes to 70s Marvel, I always skewed more towards the horror titles and stuff like that, and you know stuff like Howard the Duck. Um uh, but uh, I enjoyed this. I thought it was a lot of fun. And you know, kind of like you said, I think it's cool just that they were able to address the fact that there were two guys that were using the name Power Man. And, you know, of course, it's like the most comic book thing. It's like, well, of course, if two guys share the name, they, they got to fight, right? Like one has to like beat the other one and win the name. So that was uh, that was fun. And I really like the artwork in this, too. It, it uh, I know Sometimes you read a comic from... You know the seventies, eighties, or the nineties, and it 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 feels like it's from that era, but in a good way. You're like, you're like, oh, smell the old pages. Like this, this feels like a comic from the seventies. It's so nice. WWE would totally do this with uh, with uh, Sin Cara, you know, a few years back too. <laughs> Probably not as well known as this story, to be honest, but. <laughs> <laughs> You see, there were uh, two guys using that name. Yeah, there, it was Sin Cara. Is was yeah, it was it was two guys both wearing a mask. They both called themselves Sin Cara. One was else was Sin Cara Azul. One was Sin Cara Negro. Again, that this is all real, and we're not making this up. Yep. <laughs> as much as we wish we were, we weren't. <laughs> Dude, if if you guys were making this up, I'd be like super impressed that you're doing it all on the fly like this. So, <laughs> congratulations, because you got me fooled. <laughs> Okay, Justin, we got them. They don't. They don't. Suspect <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Those now we can kill them and do know. the Ghost Thunderbolts episodes earlier. <laughs> so what? What I'm gathering is that in that Heroes for Hire issue we just talked about earlier, when uh, Atlas called Luke like Power Man, Luke should have looked at him and said, "Why did you say that name?" <laughs> <laughs> You know, I I, lo- I legitimately like the Martha scene, and I still crack me. That still cracks me up every single time. I I, I like the one that's going around with King Kong and Godzilla. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mothra. Why do you say that name? Hey, I, I love all the jokes, but I you know what? I I still like the movie too. So people oh, yeah. can kiss Big my fan. ass, but whatever. Fuck that yeah, movie. Like... <laughs> hey, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Even the ones that are wrong, but <laughs> I'll defend everything except Eisen Luthor. Like I can't get behind that. Yeah, but uh, you know, the last thing the internet needs is another podcast arguing about Batman v Superman. I, I will say that I don't know if any of y'all have kept up with any of the the CW DC shows, but no. uh, my wife and I we we watch them pretty much on Netflix. So because they make a lot more sense if you can watch them all in a row rather than you know. Uh, wait a week and try and figure it out. At least it is for me. And so they, they did an episode of legends of tomorrow this past season where they end up in, um, 
they they end up running into um, to William Shakespeare, and they inspire him not to end Romeo and Juliet with them dying, but instead having them team up with some of his other characters to go fight Richard the <laughs> Third. <laughs> and the name of the episode, <laughs> the name of the episode is Romeo v Juliet: Dawn of Justness. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> See, like, like, remember, remember, remember when Tony's like, "Dude, this yes. is a comedy," and I was like, "No, no, no, Tony, no, no, no." And then a week later, I was like, "Oh my god, Tony's yeah. totally right. This is yeah, all. Absolutely. This entire show is trolling me." Yeah. <laughs> what's What's incredible is is we finish watching it. And like you know, on Netflix, when you get to the last episode of a of a series, and it goes back to the front screen, and so just just for just for spits and giggles, I started I, I just started flipping through the descriptions of the first season. They're all like super serious, you know. They were gonna shut down Vandal Savage. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why Rip Hunter sounds like Triple H, but there you go. And it's like, oh, you know, we're we're all forgotten. No one will miss us when we die on our quest. And it's like, and then you watch the new one, and it's just like goofball nonsense. And it's like, oh, okay, so. Things took a little bit of a of a, a pivot, a pivot. You know, that's what we like to say. <laughs> hey, when when they all teamed up against Bebo, that that's when I knew Tony was totally right. Yeah, well, they, that that was the pro- that was honestly that was the real problem I had with the crisis is when they do Crisis on Infinite Earths and it's super serious for four episodes, and the last episode is the Legends and it turns into a comedy. I'm like, oh yeah, that you should have not ended with them. <laughs> I, I kind of thought they were all comedic in their own way but you know well no but i mean just that one wasn't even trying to be cute about it that one was just straight out mm. comedy so mm. but but again that's that's neither here nor there because you know what's not comedy power man and power man wailing on each other and uh power man uh you know taking the ripping down the screen at the gem theater and using it as a battering ram which i love and uh and 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 cage no selling it with no dialogue and then the roy thomas making fun of Tony Isabella for doing it and then making fun of him for doing it again. A couple of pages <laughs> later. <laughs> Where he does a full page splash with no dialogue on. The only, the only other thing I I will say is I think Cage and at or like Justin get a rematch in New Thunderbolts. Like I think that's the next time they get a rematch. And, like, by that point, like, Atlas is, like, so fed up with it. Like, I, I remember he just, like, picks up Luke Cage and, like, throws him into the ocean or something. He's like, I don't even want to deal with this. Like, <laughs> yeah, more of that. I could see that. You know, they, they, I will say that. I mean, you know, as, as much as I did like and still do like the Justin Power Man as, like I said, as Enchantress's little, little flunky. Him as, and again, I think, Derek, I think we talked about this. Him as Goliath opened so many new possibilities of things mm. to do with the character that he wouldn't just be this forgotten mook, that he actually is a guy that had fans and got some kind of a redemption arc as Atlas and all that. So obviously, obviously in the long run, him getting his butt whipped by Luke Cage was good, was a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And it, it built character. Yeah. It, it's that that that's that thing Absolutely. that you're talking about having interchangeable dialogue again that that it, when he becomes Goliath and he's all about I need to be stronger I need to be stronger when he had lost a cage and then he had lost a Spider-Man and he's like that his whole thing is that if I if, if I'm weak I'm not good I'm not good enough I need to be strong 
that became his whole character. And it really, it does kind of start here with, he thinks he's going to come in and just, he, I mean, he doesn't, he, he's not outright racist. Well, there's, there's sort there's of racist. Moments, right. Like there's yeah, the, because what is he? There's, what is there's the, what, what is he? he? He hangs a lampshade on it. Right. What does he say? He says something he says, about no minor league 42nd street hustler is going to take that rep away from me. But he says, he says something about, he says something about spades or something. Oh like yeah, he's that. like, oh, I've got yeah. power in spades, and he's like, like excuse, excuse the racist crack. Yeah, excuse the crack. Like, <laughs> yeah, so. well, in the '70s, you could get away with that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, well, that, even I... like even in that new Thunderbolts issue, I think like uh, like he's got Cage like in his giant hand, and he's like, "Yo, Cage, can you swim?" And Cage is like, is that a racist crack? And like Atlas just pitches him into the ocean. He's like, you figure it out. The, I mean, that, that was always a thing. People don't necessarily, if you weren't, either if you weren't alive or if you were alive, not from New York, um, Times Square in the 70s was not corporate Times Square. You might have seen like, you know, watching the ball drop or something on New Year's Eve. Times Square was all like grind houses and pornos and, and, uh, you know, nudie shows and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, it was, I mean, it was an awful, awful place. So, you know, Cage being set up there was perfect for the 70s. That That's the whole bit with the Gem Theater, again, for those who may not have read some of these early cages. So the Gem Theater is operated by D.W. Griffith, who's, uh, I don't, D.W., does he appear? I don't think he appears in this. But uh, D.W. is is Luke's, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, he does. That's him. He, he appears for, he appears for like one panel. Uh, he, he's the guy that says, oh man, Cage, am I glad to see you? There's some guy out in there calling you out and wrecking the gem. He goes, what's he got against Power Man? Not Power Man, he wants Luke Cage. Well, that's D.W. Griffith. He is, he is the nephew of the owner of the gem. And the gem theater is the last theater on, on Times Square, which doesn't show like Grindhouse and porno. It just shows old Westerns. Every time the gem theater is showing a movie, it's showing an old Western. In fact, in this issue, I think it's showing Shane and 310 to Yuma. So that, and, and DW is, he's a, like a wannabe filmmaker. So he's like, oh, this is my start in the movie business, right? I'm going to run the theater. So, you know, th- that, that was always a, a little, that, that to me is a bit of the, you know, typical Marvel New York flavor, right? That doesn't necessarily make a lot of, make as much a, a big deal if you're not familiar with New York. So I grew up in New York, so I remember Times Square as being the place you don't want to go, you know, and then I remember under Giuliani, it suddenly became, uh, you know, all touristy and fancy. And now it's overrun with Muppets, which is a legitimate thing. Uh, mm. If you don't believe me, you can look that one up. <laughs> but uh, the Muppets truly have and well taken Manhattan at this point. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so, again, I, I can't even take credit for that. That, that was, I think that was an, uh, an NYPD, I think it was a captain or something. He said the Muppets have truly taken over Manhattan because you go through mm-hmm. Times Square and it's all people dressed up as Elmo or Cookie Monster or the, the, the girls painted up like the Statue of Liberty or, or the nudistas wearing only the body paints. Like, oh, take a picture and we want money for taking a picture with you at Times Square. Yeah. It's, it's turning into like. You know, Derek is more your neighborhood. It's like Hollywood Boulevard, only, you know, a, yeah, a slightly yeah. less crazy, you know. I, I have no idea if you're anywhere near that. I just assume everyone in California just, you know, congregates. In and around well, you know, it's funny because I think people get confused. But, you know, now I live in the Bay Area. But, I mean, I grew up in the Bay Area and I went to college in L.A. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, the the, the main difference is, you know, it's like what in, in – uh, 
in San Francisco, there's the guy who wears the uh, the silver paint and dances, and in in L.A., there's the guy who wears the gold paint and dances, <laughs> or vice versa. However the hell it goes, but you know, it's like there there's there's always people running around dressed up and doing stuff like that. So yeah, definitely. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna give you a little inside baseball. I'm gonna peel back the the veil a little bit here. So. Uh, I was on a job for about a year in um, about, well, actually a little less than a year in 2019 with a, um, with our, my client was in Berkeley, California. Okay. So I'm based in San Francisco. I'm based in, in uh, South Carolina. We had to fly out. We'd fly out to SFO. I think we went out like four, four or five times over the span of that uh, eight months that I was working on the project. And, and we, you know, and then we drive out to uh, we'd stay just outside of outside of the city. We'd stay, you know, outside of Berkeley or whatever. And um, we so we go in this meeting and we got the these vendors in there and they're saying, oh well, we can we can do fabrication. And they start rattling off all these cities, and all the guys from the client are all from the Bay Area, and they're just nodding, you know, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. And I'm like, I just said, excuse me, guys, like, can you take pity on this poor? stupid east coaster and tell me where the hell you're talking about because i have no idea where any of these places are that you i was like oh yeah okay it's like oh okay well that one's in that one's up here this one's down south i'm like see you guys that's all that's all i need guys just a little bit just a little bit give me a rough idea (laughs) (laughs) i can follow along we got maps in south carolina you know we don't trust them but we got them (laughs) (laughs) if you write it down it becomes devil's work everybody knows that And God, God forbid, don't don't get a disposable straw. That's all I can say. They'll tackle you to the ground. <laughs> and God forbid you drink out of a paper one because it tastes like shit. No. Yeah, you got to get the stainless steel, man. That's where you go with that. That's where it's at. You need a stainless so, steel uh, straw to drink your green smoothie. Everybody well, knows that. That's that's one thing about this lockdown. I haven't had to drink out of a paper fucking straw in uh, five months. <laughs> so there's that. Silver linings. <laughs> okay so are, are we done with uh yeah, with, with, yeah. i think we've I been mean, done for like a long said, time now yeah book. we've just been kind of meandering since for well, i mean a while, it's but... it's a good comic but there's like i said it's 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 so straightforward it's not a lot of nuance it's not even like even in the heroes for hire there was a lot of character bits there's not a lot of character here because it's just two dudes that are not happy you know <laughs> and i'm gonna let you know how unhappy i am Seems like there should be a healthier way to deal with this conflict. Well, okay then. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, I, I think that should that that'll close out the episode. Uh, there are two dudes and they're unhappy. <laughs> and only, if, you, only... if, if you are unhappy, if you have any comments, questions, and/or concerns, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. If you too are also named Fanholes Podcast, you can come to my house. We can have a throwdown. We can have a big fight, decide who earns the name of Fanholes Podcast. Uh, you can do that by emailing us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We're on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, retweets, and possible cancellations, etc. that we receive. And uh, we can be streamed on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Awesome. Thank you, Derek. So, uh, yeah, this is Mike uh, signing off. This is Derek, Derek WC. Will I be playing forever by little girls? Signing off.
This is Justin, and if you're out there listening and you think Batman v Superman is great, send an email to fuck you. I don't care. I'm getting on. I'm getting on the email right now, Justin. And this is Luke Giaconetti signing off. Thanks, Luke. Oh, Thank yeah, you. no problem, guys. Thank you very much for having me. It's a lot of fun. I, I love going on a podcast where they don't just ask me questions about Godzilla. It's, uh, you know. <laughs> or Ultraman. Now I get Ultraman questions, too. I, I've had several people's like, hey, that Ultraman Z show, can I watch it? Or, like, do I need to watch all the other ones first? I'm like, no, you can watch it. It's cool. It's cool. Luke, who would win, Luke Cage or Godzilla? Uh, well you know since i did get in trouble when i covered marvel godzilla and i was mad that hercules was able to knock him over godzilla would win that because cage is not in the same strength class as hercules Wait, what, what godzilla are we talking about like the godzilla who's shrunken in a trench coat because maybe then luke cage has well okay yeah maybe maybe you know uh you know, you know 42nd street flasher godzilla maybe <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he stole the thing's outfit. I mean, isn't isn't that like the the real the real takeaway from that? It's like when a monster, a Marvel monster, walks around New York, he wears a trench hat and a, a trench coat and a hat. You know, the thing did it. Godzilla you mean Time it. Time Square Godzilla? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like off-brand Time Square Godzilla with like a missing eye or something. He's like, hey, you lizard, you want to buy a watch? Hey, we got live girls in here, man. I know you're a lizard, <laughs> but you might like girls, huh? huh? The one, the one issue that I really like out of that whole run, it's it's Morbius fighting Blade, and mm-hmm. both of them they they've never run into it. That's the first time they meet, and so both of them think the other one is nuts, because Morbius the whole time is like, "There's no such thing as vampires. What is this guy talking about? Why is he using like?" wooden weapons are trying to stake me like i'm like i'm like some you know mythological vampire and then blade is like why do my weapons have no effect on this guy what type of super vampire is he that you know <laughs> teak weapons don't work and and yeah. they they never come to an understanding they just kind of fight to a standstill and they're both leave and they're both pissed off and it's, it's like, that, that sounds like morbius <laughs> and how much uh, hungering for the plasma is in it <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know what, man? I, I, a lot of, you know, my, my friend Joe would ask me about that. He's like, so it's like, does Morbius drink plasma? I'm like, no, that was from because of broadcast standards and practice. But I've, I've heard that enough places that obviously a lot of people know Morbius from that cartoon.
Yeah. You know, that, that cartoon pulled off Morbius. It pulled off the Punisher. You know, pulled off Venom and Carnage, sort of. I mean, they, I, they did a lot of stuff. I actively dislike Morbius because of that cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> he, he doesn't, he is pretty whiny on that cartoon. Like, uh, say, like even watching the second like season of that show, like I was like, uh, Morbius episode, Morbius episode, Morbius. Ep- when's Venom coming back? Or when's the, you know, Hobgoblin or the Green Goblin showing up? Why is there so many Morbius episodes? Like, well, they had to do, you know, people were clamoring for a story about Six-Armed Spider-Man. <laughs> if you do Six-Armed Spider-Man, you got to do it right, because if you don't, the fans are going to eat you alive. <laughs> it was, it was an issue 100, it. so it had to be good, right? Yeah, you, issue 100 and then 101 with Morbius. So. And you had to pimp all those action figures, because that was one of those toys in that lawn. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, they, they, never... did they do a... I know they did Six Arm Spider Man, and I know they did Morbius. Did they do a? I think they did a Man Spider figure too from that, didn't they? Yeah, they they yeah. did because my brother had it. Yeah, those are actually pretty 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 decent toys. Those toy bits. I so. love yeah. the what if uh, what if Spider Man kept his six arms because the divergent point in that is that Morbius never makes it to America because he like falls off the boat and gets eaten by sharks. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I've never read that. That sounds great. I yeah, I've read that one. It's right. Yeah, it's like Morbius. Like, I'm stupid. <laughs> He's like, I'm I too. Know. I do not have the plasma. I'm too weak <laughs> to fight the sharks. But did you know Taco Cat backwards is Taco Cat? <laughs> <laughs> so is race car. A man, a plan, a canal, Panama. <laughs> uh rise to vote sir <laughs> this technology should have been perfected by now where's my transporters and my flying skateboards and i was gonna say yeah we were supposed shit. to have flying skateboards in 2005 everybody knows that yeah it was ridiculous yeah we were supposed to be able to go fishing with sentient robots and then skate on a flying skateboard i mean <laughs> And everyone would wear jumpsuits with their initial on them. Yeah, well, our jumpsuit well, technology is I'm... light years ahead of yours. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I, I, I don't even have to, like, swap out Daniel's jumpsuit. I'm totally fine. I'm all set. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Talk about boring, Dano. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Cyberverse yet, Luke? No, I have not. Oh. There's, uh, I mean, not not spoiling too much, but uh, at some point there are um, episodes featuring one of the monster bots, and it's it's oh, pretty sweet. cute. Yeah. So. The twin is it Twinverno? <laughs> yeah. uh, no. Okay. Yeah. It's it's Repugness. Repugness. Good old the pug. Yeah. The pug. Pug the thug. My kids love that I ha- I have the big like the deluxe Repugness and the. Titan Master <laughs> Yes, so do so I. So it's big. So whenever we get those down, it's big pug and little pug. <laughs> That's it. That is exactly what I do. And I'm a grown ass man. <laughs> <laughs> I literally have pictures on our Tumblr, I think, of like, look, it's big pug and little pug. <laughs> now, is it Lil Pug, like Lil yeah. Jinx for March? Yeah, li- li- yeah. Lil Pug. Lil pug. <laughs> yeah, we're adults. I'm a murderer. I'm a man. I mean, yeah, I turn. I, I mean, I literally am forty, so I am a man. I'm a man. I'm forty. You know, so 
Waited At some point, yeah. Is is that when it happens? Because I'm 36. Like, so <laughs> was- <laughs> no, see the one the one you post when you turn 37 is from Monty Python: The Holy Grail. Oh, okay. I'm not old. I'm 37. You know. 37. <laughs> man. I'm not the woman. I'm a man. I didn't know you were cold, Dennis. Well, you didn't ask. <laughs> yes, did you? <laughs> Come witness the violence inherent in the system. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody peasant. <laughs> <laughs>